Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movies Be Like podcast. I'm Miranda. And I'm Ryan. And today we're going to be talking about musician biopics such as Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man, and Love and Mercy. Yes. Which so. are about, you know, Queen, Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury, and then Elton, Elton John. John, and the Beach Boys. And Brian Wilson. And Brian Wilson specifically. So. These are some very, uh, pretty fun films that focus around some very famous fans. And you should have, you should see them if you haven't already. Spoilers ahead. We'll be spoiling the crap out of all three of these films. So. There you go. You've been warned. You've been warned. Alright, Ryan. So tell me about Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh boy, Bohemian Rhapsody. We had very high hopes for this film. I mean, both you and I have seen it like like, four times. You and I have seen it four times. One one time we even saw it with this like special release format at our local theater that had projectors on both sides of the walls. So there was the main screen and on like specific moments of the film where it was like a concert sequence. Um, the, The sides of the theater had the movie playing too. It was more. It was like a more immersive experience. It was crazy. And it was really cool. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, I really liked this movie when it first came out. But now, it's definitely the weakest of the three. Yeah. Of the of the other two that we're comparing it to? Yeah, it's it doesn't... It's also just weak, kind of, in general. Um, there's... The best part of it is Live Aid at the end, for sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway... So, so there's some fun facts I want to describe, and then we'll move into some historical okay. accuracies and inaccuracies that the film has. Lots there's of there's a lot of them, which kind of bothers me and you. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one's pretty... I think a lot of people might know this already, but Sasha Baron Cohen was originally cast as Freddie Mercury. And he... I mean, this plan was announced in, like, 2010. And it officially came out in... 2018 and about three years into that uh sasha was dropped and because uh roger said that eh, he doesn't seem like he's that interested in it or that invested in it well i heard that like he was trying to have more control over it than he was supposed to like sasha oh, that makes sense i mean he was trying to he was portraying freddie in a way that they didn't want or something mm-hmm Anyway. I feel like, also, if he was, um, if he was playing Freddy, it, it'd be weird with him if already played, like, Borat and, uh, exactly. the dictator, and, like, this kind of comedian who's known for- and Bruno. For dirty, dark humor like this. Yeah. To portray Freddy Mercury. I would only see, I would just see Borat. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the, another main point that no one- in the like articles would mention. Well, but. I'm glad I never saw Mr. Robot because Rami Malek is the main character in Mr. Robot, and a lot of people who saw Bohemian Rhapsody were like, "All I see is Mr. Robot." Is that the name of the show, Mr. Robot? I think it's a movie. I don't know. I never saw it either. I think it's a show. Okay, so we're gonna move on to some historical inaccuracies that were in the film, which is a lot of the film. <laughs> so um, keep in mind, like. Much of Queen's history had been rearranged in this film, and facts have been changed to like squeeze it into a film, so it's, it has an easier story to follow. Um, 
And this can create many different problems and things that you might not have ran into before if you just told it normally. It feels like they wanted the movie to end with Live Aid, so they just put everything important in Freddy's life before Live Aid. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, they put... Because, like, he didn't... He didn't know he had AIDS until after Live Aid, yeah. right? Yeah. Like. Oh, I'll get into that. That's <laughs> just wrong. Yeah. I mean, on one side, it's like, how do you cram an entire history of Queen into a two-hour PG-13 movie? You don't have to put in chronological yeah, order. Yeah. We have brains. Like, we can understand. Yeah. Just put a year at the beginning of the scene. Yeah. We'll understand. <laughs> They just had a lot of facts that were out of order and uh, were completely wrong or made up. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these are, they may shatter the illusion of the film for you and you might not like it as much, but here we go. So how Freddy joined the band in the beginning wasn't at all how it happened. Um, in the film, you know, he just walks up to this band and their lead singer had just left and they're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And then he just happens to be there and says, I like your stuff. I'll sing for you. And then, you know, what actually happened is that Freddie actually knew this Tim Staffel, which is the guy who dropped out of the band from art college and expressed interest in joining the band. Their name was Smile before Tim yeah. even left. Um, he also shared a flat with Roger Taylor. <laughs> so he knew him then anyway. So he lived with Roger. What? Yeah, he lived with Roger at the time. Why did they, why did they get this movie so wrong? And John Deacon wasn't... Uh, he wasn't the original bassist. He was the fourth bassist of Smile slash Queen. Okay. Yeah. Um, later in the movie, um, Ray Foster, the guy who Mike Myers plays, is there like... Yeah record manager yeah um he doesn't exist <laughs> that's funny he's loosely based off an emi they chief. just they just threw it in because they were like wouldn't it be funny if mike myers the guy who made bohemian rhapsody uh popular again in wayne's world what if he played the guy who doesn't like who wayne's doesn't world? <laughs> or doesn't like bohemian rhapsody wouldn't that be funny guys he's like bohemian rhapsody yeah it's so bad he's, he's like, like six minutes no one's going to play that. I pity your wife if you think six minutes is a long time. Freddy without burn. Freddy. Well, I mean, I think it was probably added to create conflict and it show like, a version to Bohemian Did Rhapsody. Did they not have enough conflict have, that already happened in their band? Know. Like, what band doesn't, doesn't have conflict at all, but they have to make it up in their biopic? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Ray Foster was also based off of, like, a... EMI chief named Roy Featherstone, who actually liked Queen, who also managed them. He, but he also did comment about the length of Bohemian Rhapsody. But, uh-huh. like, that's the only real quote, or, like, the real thing from that scene. As anyone would, if at the time it wasn't mm-hmm. normal to have a six-minute song mm-hmm. release. Um, some of the songs that are, that are shown are out of chronological order. Like, they'll play something yeah. they released from the that's, 80s and the 70s or something. That's okay. But that's fine with me. I don't think it breaks through no. in any way. Rocket Man does that too. Yeah. But it doesn't take away from the, you know, yeah. immersive experience not, yeah. their story or anything. Um, you know, John Reed was their manager, as well as Elton John's. Manager and lover. Well, of Elton John. <laughs> he wasn't the lover of Freddie Mercury. 
No, yeah, I'm saying he was oh. Elton John's lover. Yeah, of course. Um, in the movie, he was fired over an argument over Freddie wanting to go solo. Yeah. Um, that didn't happen. The band and him parted mutually on good terms for completely different reasons. That's so stupid. Why did they? Why did they make Freddie look like such a shitty person? Self-centered, shitty person. Yeah, who like yelled at the whole band for whatever the hell. They didn't even break up. I'll get to that. <laughs> Reed said it was the gentlest parting of ways of anyone I have ever worked with. The gentlest. The gentlest. <laughs> yeah. The gentlest. The gentlest. That's, that's so funny. It's weird that Brian and Roger both, like, had a say in this film. And they were like, yeah, let's just go with Freddy being shitty. I don't get it. Um, it's been two of the founding members of Queen. Two members of Queen. Did, was that it? They just didn't have enough problems that they had to make them up to make the film interesting? That doesn't make sense. I you feel can like make watching it and seeing them all get along and be happy would have just made me happier. You would have... Yeah, you don't need all of that drama. And you could yeah. have made a story about Queen that was accurate and enjoyable. I think anyone would like to watch a story about that. I you don't need... so inaccurate. Rocket Man... Although Rocket Man's like a musical fantasy and is a musical, it's way more accurate. Mm -hmm. And Love and Mercy is like completely accurate, pretty much. So like, why? Why did they? I don't. I don't get it. Like, I. They'll say it's just like creative liberties, but it's not. Like you're portraying Freddie Mercury as a shitty person, who wanted more control in his band. Even though they always said that they were always queen. I was, those were my next fact, sharing songwriting credits. Oh, right. So they didn't actually, they didn't, they did not start sharing songwriting credits um, before Live Aid, like they decided to in the movie. They only shared songwriting credit on their last two albums where it said Queen wrote all, you know, um, their last two albums, The Miracle and Innuendo. So everything else would be like, oh, Brian May wrote this one, or Freddie okay. wrote this one. But they were still Queen. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course they're still Queen. But you they, know? but in the songwriting credits of the album, it had each individual person, and they decided to do that at the end. Um, Queen didn't split up prior to Live Aid either. Like you know how there was like a long hiatus where yeah. where Freddie left. No, they. They well, were burnt out, and their the most recent show before Live Aid was only eight weeks before, at a, at a tour for their album The Works in 1984. This is why people say it's a homophobic movie. Go on. Because they make it seem like Freddie left the band to go sleep with all these men and then get AIDS as a punishment. And then that makes him realize that he should come back to the band and apologize mm -hmm. for embracing his sexuality. <laughs> and, it, like, that's that's what a lot of people say, is that it's, like, a very... It does not... And it's also just inaccurate. That's not how things went down. So it's, like, why did they go out of their way to make it look, like... You know? It confuses me. They wrote themselves into a hole. Yeah. No wonder it took so many years to get through I don't a lot of creative clashing and a lot of rewrites I, I'm assuming because mm -hmm. probably over nine years of production yeah um, 
I didn't like how they just threw in Jim Hutton at the end of the film, too. Like, you see them meet at a party. Which isn't true. And then, yeah, and then you see them again at the very end. And he immediately goes up to his house. And he's like, do you know how many Jim Huttons there are? Blah, blah, blah. And then he immediately brings them back to his house to introduce him to his parents. And then immediately goes to Live Aid. I'm like, you just really threw in all the... All of that in, like, five minutes. Like, we didn't get to see anything about Freddie and Jim. Like, I want to see more about them. And, like, how he actually finds happiness with him. But no. They're like, let's just throw them in for, like, five minutes. They only share, like, two lines. Mm-hmm. And then it's over. He, Jim Hutton meets his parents for, like, a second. It's 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 unfair. Yeah. Um, Freddie deserves so much better. Yeah. I mean... All of, that was one of my facts. He tells the band about his illness, mm-hmm. and then he introduces John Hutton and meets John Hutton, finally, to his family, and then performs at Live Aid all on the same day, which didn't happen. Didn't even happen. All of that happened different times. Um, he didn't know or tell anyone he had AIDS prior to Live Aid. Um, and I guess that totally changes the story dynamic, too, of like what are, what are his purposes for performing at Live Aid? I just don't get it. True. I don't... Mm. Why did they make up stuff to make Freddy look bad? And then also, why did they take things that happened but just put them out of order? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, it, also, like, the band didn't ever break up. They all did their own yeah, solo Yeah, this makes the movie so inaccurate. Like, it, it, yeah. it just really doesn't make any sense. I don't know why they changed so much of the band's history. Like, it, each member has their own solo career at some capacity. Some of them have some songs, yeah. some of them have some albums. Um, but there's never like a long period of time where they weren't together. Um, and when they come back together and like, should we should we play a Live Aid? Uh, they weren't a they weren't an, a last minute addition like the film says. Yeah, <laughs> they were a main. He's like, we'll name. squeeze you in. Miami Beach or whatever, Jim Beach. Miami. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll see if they can squeeze you in. Of course you can squeeze in Queen, but like... I didn't understand why they made up this like fictional story, but then also played it off as to be like, what happened? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I feel like it's very disrespectful mm-hmm. to Freddy. Because like, Rocket Man, Elton John's still alive. Uh, Love and Mercy, both Brian and Melinda are still alive. Mm-hmm. This is the one where Freddy is gone. This is the one where you work extra hard to make it as accurate as possible in respect for him. And instead you put it all out of order and you add in stuff that didn't even happen that make Freddy look shitty and conceited. I'm like, you do not do that to my boy Freddy. To my Freddy Mercury. You do not do that. It's not fair. It's not fair. No. Make it again. It could have been good. Make it correctly this time. Add that to the list of things we want remade. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> Freddie met Jim Hutton. Mm-hmm. Not at a house party where Jim was a butler. Yeah, and not it was after at... pinching his butt. Like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> he met him at a London nightclub, nightclub called Heaven around 1980. And Hutton was a hairdresser who worked at the Savoy Hotel. Why was he his butler in the film? (laughs) 
And why did he approach him by pinching his butt? Like, what a weird... I like that the only thing I liked... <laughs> Jim Jim looked very friendly in the film. And he his, did. his mustache and Freddy's mustache like were perfect for each other, but... Their mustaches were perfect. Yeah, they had the same. They had the same. <laughs> okay, I guess. I guess. <laughs> but how, he, Jim was a hairdresser. Who worked at a hotel. Oh. Wow, they really did Jim dirty too. Well, the live aid performance was captured very well. It was um, almost shot for shot what Freddie did. Mm-hmm. Rami Malek, like copied and. Apparently Rami wasn't really that big of a... He was a casual queen, like, listener and enjoyer, whatever, yeah. like a casual queen fan. But after so, after playing Freddie Mercury, he's, like, fallen head over heels for the, the band. And yes. Like, I know that he had, like, a movement co- coach teach him how to perform like Freddie and everything. Yeah. Which helped a lot. And then also the guy... I always forget his name, but the guy who sings and sounds exactly like Freddie Mercury, and they ha- and they had him, they recorded him singing for some of the parts where he's casually playing at the piano, because mm-hmm. he sounds like that, exactly like, what's his name? Mark Martell? Mark Martell, that's his name. Mark Martell. Mark Martell. I knew it started with an M. I know. Mm-hmm. I knew it was two M's, but I couldn't remember. The well, band, there you go. The band toured with two other people after Freddie passed, sorry. Fred, after Freddie passed. Uh, one of them was Adam Lambert, who we saw. We saw. We saw Queen live. The other one is another guy. I don't okay. remember it at the time. It's not that important. Well, and after Freddie died, uh, the last time John Deacon performed with them was at um, the Bejart Ballet for Life performance. They had Elton John sing for Freddie. Oh, that's cool. And it was the three of them and Elton John. And then after that performance... Uh, John Deacon was like, I can't do this anymore. It's not the same without Freddie. So then he uh, he left. And Brian was like, that was the last time he ever performed with us. It's so sad. It is really sad. And there's like footage of like behind the scenes of the ballet show um, where they're like filming them setting up and every single time the camera's on John Deacon, he just looks really sad. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I understand. I understand. Um... But not to the same extent that no. you under because that you are you because knew you him. knew him and also played with him and wrote God. songs with him. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I Freddie guess Mercury deserved a better movie. He totally did. I think the only accurate fact would be about his cats, about how each one had it, its own room. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's there's more facts. Freddie Mercury that. loved his cats. That's why. That's another reason why I love him. Mm-hmm. We could also talk about the editing of the film. How it won. It won best editing. Best editing when there's that one sequence where they meet John Reed at the outside of a pub, and there's sixty, I think, different cuts within two minutes, and it which, or or less than that even, and it averaged, the average shot length was about one point eight seconds. Okay. Which, is so jarring. You didn't need that much editing. I don't even remember that. I just remember when um. That whole montage of them touring, and people were like angry that it won best editing because it looked like it was made on iMovie. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's move on to another movie. Yeah, let's move on to a um, like a better movie that we have more positive things to say about. Rocket Man. You want to talk like, about Rocket Man? Yes, please. I've seen it three times. Ooh. 
I think okay. I've seen it like three or four times. Um, Rocket Man came out in 2019, directed by Dexter Fletcher. Um, it won an Oscar and a Golden Globe for Best Original Song, the song I'm Gonna Love Me Again, mm-hmm. written by, or sung by Taryn and Elton. Can't believe Taryn sang. Taryn's very talented. All of them. All of the songs. Talented Taryn. And it won a Golden Globe for Best Actor, which Taryn won. Makes sense. Yes. I think he also deserved an Oscar for Best Actor. But also, a lot of really good movies came out in 2019. <laughs> like, 2019 is insane. Like, oh my Isn't god. is that the year Once Upon came out? And Parasite. And Parasite. And a lot, a lot of stuff. 1917. Huh. A lot of really amazing movies came out in 2019. Well, then so. I, I guess nothing spectacular came out in 2018 because, I mean, I'm sure it did. I can't remember it. Cause but, but, but Bohemian Rhapsody won a bunch of things. It did. That's really surprising. Okay, anyway. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. So, Elton John was the co-executive producer of this film, so he had a lot of say on uh, how the film was made and how it went down and everything. And also his husband, uh, David Furnish, was also a producer on the film. So the film is like a musical fantasy of um, key moments in Elton's life that have shaped him to who he is today. So a lot of the songs, um, it doesn't really matter when they came out in time. Like, um, I saw in some article that it was like, when he plays Crocodile Rock at the Troubadour, um, that song, he did not perform that song because it came out two years later. And I'm like, well, it's not like he performed I Want Love with his family in his house when he was 12, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like a lot of the songs were like, incorporated into the film in the moments that he wrote them or he didn't write the songs because Bernie wrote them but like they make sense where they're placed in the film because they're inspired by those times in his life or at least some of the songs are I don't think it's that big of a deal when they stretch <laughs> the uh, yeah the, the time this when movie it came is out. far more accurate than Bohemian Rhapsody for sure it is a musical fantasy so it's of course, it's not what happened in real life because the world is not a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the story is accurate. Um, the creative liberties mostly have to do with just the fact that it's a musical. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, so, Elton John, his birth name is Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Reginald? Reginald. Reginald. I mean, I knew that it's in the film. Reginald. But. Yes. And he was able to play the skater waltz on the piano at eight, the age of three, just by hearing it. Like, How does that go? Learning it by ear. I don't know. No. I forget. But he was able to do that at age three. Um, so his grandmother, Ivy, in the film, um, I'm just going to be talking about like a few things that are true that happens in the film because there are like some tiny things that didn't happen in the film but they're all things that are kind of obvious that didn't happen in real life like he didn't get john from john lennon oh yeah (laughs) when he says my name is elton and they're like elton what and then he sees a picture of john lennon he's like elton john i think it's a pretty funny like no that didn't happen but that like a lot of the things that didn't happen were like for comedic relief like the part when he's playing songs for the 
ma- manager or something, and he starts playing, uh, the guy's like, stop playing sad stuff, and then he plays, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't play that after being told don't play something sad. That was, like, for comedy in the film. Um, but yes, his grandmother Ivy was one of his biggest supporters when he was growing up. He was, she was very encouraging of his love of piano and music. And his dad was in... His dad. His dad was in the Royal Air Force. He was absent a lot. And remember the part when he is given your the Your Song lyrics by Bernie in yeah. the house? Yeah. And he walks over to the piano and he just starts playing it. And while Bernie's shaving? Yeah. That one? Yeah. That happened. He, <clears throat> he was able to just put the music and the lyrics together in minutes at his mom's apartment. He was able to just put it all together. So, that was actually a magical moment that did happen. Um, he did get married in 1984 to Renata Blau Blau. I mean, that's in the movie, right? Yeah. And they did meet in a recording studio when he was finishing up his album. And they got married for four years and then they divorced. When they got married, he was known as bisexual to the public. And then when they divorced, that's when he came out as gay to the public. Um, and he said that that's like his biggest regret because he wanted to love her, but he couldn't. <laughs> so he was a bad husband because of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when it comes to things that are inaccurate in the film, um, like I said, they're all very small things. Like, um, the I'm Still Standing song, it came out in 1983, but he wasn't fully sober, or out of rehab. He wasn't out of rehab until 1990. And, um, when he meets John Reed at that party, he didn't meet him at that party, he met him at a Christmas party! <laughs> it's so inaccurate, guys! So different, oh. That changes the whole plot! Just kidding. Um, yeah. That's pretty much it. Like... They stayed as true to it as they possibly could, with just a couple of convenient things thrown in there, like, oh, let's just have him meet John Reed at this party, so that we don't have to make a set of a Christmas party, which doesn't take away from what happened in real life at all. (laughs) So. That party looked really cool. It did. It made me want, it makes me want to go to a party in the 70s so bad. Ugh. There were also a couple of things in the film that they recreated from real life. I mean, a lot of it's recreated from real life. But I'm going to go into the specifics. So, one of the things, um, at the very end when he sings I'm Still Standing, and they recreate the whole music video. Not the whole music video, just like the beach parts of the music video. So they recreated that human domino scene where like all those people are lined up and they fall down over each other. That, which is pretty sick. And then they also uh, recreated when he, when he goes to the troubadour, you know how he starts floating while singing Crocodile Rock? Even though he wasn't singing Crocodile Rock, he did jump like that. There is a picture of him in that outfit, jumping kind of like that. Um, He was kicking his legs into the air uh, like Jerry Lee Lewis, because that was one of his big music inspirations was... Jerry Lee Lewis, and that was a very famous thing he did. He was kick his legs, kick his legs while he was singing. That part's so cool when he starts floating, and then the whole audience starts floating mm-hmm. with him. 
Oh my god, the movie's so good. Because it stays accurate to what happened while also putting the creative aspect of a musical into it. Like, you can't get better than that, honestly. Um, and, like, I've seen, like, interviews with Taron Egerton where, like, um, they ask him, it's like, Taron Egerton reacts to see, uh, some famous scenes in Rocket Man, and the entire time he's reacting, he looks so serious. <laughs> Cause Wait, he's, what? Well, because he's a very serious actor. So the entire time he's watching it, he's not smiling or laughing, he's just watching it, and he's like... Like, <laughs> and when they tell him to talk about it, it like he'll say like one quick thing, and then he'll just get right back into watching it. And it's just very obvious that he's like judging himself. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, could have done that better. Could have done that better." Mm-hmm. Which is is great. It makes me like him even more. That he's not there being like, "Ooh, I can't wait to brag about all these things I did on set." I was Elton <laughs> And so he's like, "Crap, I have to watch myself." And, like, <laughs> like, you know. Like how we felt when we any, take acting any classes. Any performer, when they have to watch themselves back, is like it's like hell. Because you're like, oh my god, I suck. Even if you're an A-list actor, I'm sure it still applies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, a couple of fun facts. Tom Hardy was originally cast as Elton. Tom? Yeah. But he, Tom Hardy? But he wasn't comfortable singing. So they were originally just going to have him lip sync all of the already recorded songs by Elton John. Um, but that didn't go through, so thank God. Um, <laughs> He's a much more serious pick. Than, yeah. I mean, I could see him fitting, like, the look, but and not... And you know who else was considered? Who? Uh, Justin Timberlake. Glad they didn't pick Justin Timberlake. If they picked Justin Timberlake, everyone in the world would only see Justin Timberlake. No one was going to see Elton John going into that theater, you know? Everyone's gonna say, oh, look, it's Justin Timberlake in an Elton John Halloween costume. They're not gonna see, they're not gonna see Elton John! Like, Taron was the prime choice, because he had just been in Kingsman. Yeah. So he was popular, and he's the kind of person that you want to see in another thing again. But he's not so iconically recognizable that when you look at him, you don't think, all I see is Taron. You look at him and you see Elton. Mm -hmm. Especially because he... Had his, they shaved back his hairline every day he came on set. Yeah. Like, and they painted a gap between his teeth and then CGI'd it in later in the film. Oh, so that's So that way they they, okay. he looks even more like Elton. So, also the studios wanted a toned-down PG-13 movie. And Elton was like, no. He was very adamant about, <laughs> like, this has to be rated R. I have not lived a PG-13 rated life. He's like, I've had a lot of sex, I've had a lot of drugs, and I want to <laughs> show it! I want to show the world! So, um, they went with R-rated, because uh, Elton John said no to PG-13. And how can you say no to Elton John? And Elton's like, everyone knew what I was doing in the 70s and the 80s. Why would I... <laughs> why, why not I, now? Like, <laughs> Why would I lie about it in a film and tone it down? Um, so Rocket Man was officially given a green light for, um, for production when... They saw a video of Taron Egerton performing your song. Because um, he does all his own singing in the film. So they saw a video of him performing your song and they were like, Yes, this is the guy. Let's go through with this film. Um, also, uh, Taron had to go through extensive training for the piano scenes. So he rehearsed 
three hours a day, five days a week for the eight weeks of pre-production. So that uh, he'd perfect it. Sounds pretty. But like he he did he he didn't learn how to play piano. He learned how to fake play piano. No, I'm sure he learned how to play piano. Oh, okay. I I mean I feel like he might have already known slightly since he was already a singer. Um. He probably already knew, like, basic piano, but he didn't know, like, you know, Elton John's level of piano. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then they had 85 Elton costumes recreated for the film, as well as 60 pairs of glasses and 60 pairs of shoes. They recreated Whoa. all of them from the past. And Bryce Dallas Howard. Let's talk about Bryce Dallas Howard. Who's that? She plays the mom. So Bryce Dallas Howard is also famous for being in Black Mirror, the nosedive episode. She's also in Jurassic World. She's a director of The Mandalorian. She's the woman who eats the shit in The Help. Yeah. yeah. All of her roles are like, you remember them. They're iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not Jurassic World. <laughs> but, you know, she's a very... She's got range. And she seems very... um. She's, she seems cool, you know? She do. Anyway. She do seem cool. She's She directed my favorite episode of The Mandalorian. That happens to be your least I mean, favorite. it's okay. <laughs> it's funny. Um, this is the one I like the least. Okay, yes, yeah, so least favorite. Okay. <laughs> I don't like how you put it, but... <laughs> anyway, she plays the mom, Sheila... And in order to play this character, she reached out to a lot of people who were not working on the project, who knew her, and she got to know just how borderline abusive she really was, and she called it chronic cruelty and an incredibly toxic relationship. Because um, you see it in the film, like, she's not... Supportive a, at all. ...abusive, per se. Um, she just stings him a lot. Mm-hmm. She, she just, like, hurts his feelings a lot. Like, she doesn't yell at him or hit him. She's just, like, so... I guess she's just really jealous of him. She doesn't really and care her, about him. He, that's, she, how it's, that's how it seems in the film. I mean, she wishes he was never born. Yeah. And then when he comes out to her, she's like, well, you're picking a life where no one's gonna love you. It's really fucked up. Alright, so that's all I really have on Rocky Man. I love this <clears throat> film so much. And I love... I feel like the first time I saw it, I was very, very surprised because I did not expect it to be set up like a musical because this came out after Bohemian Rhapsody. So I was expecting something... I was expecting something like Bohemian Rhapsody where it's just, like, very straightforward but also very inaccurate. <laughs> and this movie was accurate and not super straightforward, and very entertaining. This movie, like, they, I just love how they made it a musical. They took Elton John's songs and made his life a musical. And they start with the little kid singing The Bitch is Back, which is so funny. <laughs> and, um, God, my favorite parts, my favorite songs that they incorporate into this movie are definitely Saturday Night's Alright, when he goes through the, the, the fence. Carnival. Yeah. The fence, and all of a sudden, he's Taryn Egerton. I he's young I flipped out. Yeah. He's so cute. He's so adorable. And they, they, they employed so many dancers for this film, which I just love. I love when movies have dancers. Also, there's a lot of dancing that they did not put into the movie. 
Yeah, there's some... That is in the special features of the DVD or Blu-ray. <laughs> there are songs that they didn't add. They, like, pretty much every number that has a lot of dancers in it, there's an extended version with more dancing that they just cut out for the film. Like, Honky Cat. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a whole nother two minutes of the... Like, you know how at the end of Honky Cat, it's on the record, and then it fades <clears throat> to them being in the office, and the song's over? Well, the extended version, it shows the record... And then it fades into all these dancers on the record, and there's this, like, long dance sequence of these dancers on the record, and Taryn and guy who plays John Reed. <laughs> uh, John Stark. <laughs> Is that his name? No, no, no. Why did I say John Stark? Yeah, that's... Rob one... Stark. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you say John by saying John Reed. I was like, it's Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. Okay. Well, they're on the record, and they're all dancing, and it's very entertaining. And I'm like, y'all should have kept this in. It's so fun. I love Honky Cat. Do you have any last thoughts about the film? Um, I remember they're watching a video or something about the very intricate set design that they had. Like that, they, this one guy was super passionate about all of the things that he created, and I was thinking about the the nightclub scene where he like crawls through a bunch of like shirtless naked people. Yeah. And it's a really good set. None of those locations were real locations. They they built all of them. I mean, of course, movies do that, but they, they, it looked really cool. What's it like to be Elton John? Let's get him on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to move on to Love and Mercy. Love the and Beach Mercy. Boys retelling of Brian Wilson's life. It's true, that's what it is. And his struggles with mental illness and abusive relationships and the writing of Pet Sounds. So this came out in 2014, directed by Bill Pollard. 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 I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. And, yeah, it's it covers the span of time from 1964 to 1987. Specifically 64 to 68, and then 86 to 87. Um, so it covers when Brian Wilson's working on his album, the Beach Boys album Pet Sounds, and when he's in the, when he meets Melinda Lenbetter, and he has his awful therapist that is misdiagnosing him. Eugene Landy. Eugene Landy. Paul Giamatti. Played by Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti is very good at playing scary. Terrible people. Terrible people. You know, has anyone seen Big Fat Liar? I mean, I know I have. He turns blue. He turns blue and Big Fat Liar. Oh no, I'm Spoiler. sorry if you haven't seen Big Fat Liar. It's on the cover of the it is. movie. Um, <laughs> He's dyed blue with orange hair. <laughs> but then you see movies like um, Saving Mr. Banks, where he's like the sweet guy that's driving. He's the bu- uh, chauffeur. Yeah. And he's like, isn't it a beautiful day? He's got range. Okay, let's move on. So, Ryan, can you tell us about Pets Sounds? Yeah, so I have some facts about Pets Sounds. According, in life. Yeah. According to the Rolling Stone, the story of Pet Sounds is the story of art versus commerce, youthful optimism versus adult cynicism, and the independent spirit versus the mundane status quo. It's also a story of tremendous courage. Great. Thanks, Rolling Stone, for that wonderful quote. Um, it started in 1966, roughly, um, and Brian Wilson was only 23 years old when he wrote all Jesus. of it. Jesus! Um, he tried recreating or creating the sounds and voices he heard inside of his head because he suffered from a schizoaffective dis- 
from schizoaffective disorder and depression. Schizoaffective disorder is a combination of schizophrenia and, and other mental illness problems like depression. Mm -hmm. um, Pet Sounds is pretty much like a fully realized artistic vision that owes little to trends and everything to soul. Another quote from Rolling Stone. Um, so here's some other fun facts. Fun facts. Uh, God Only Knows was written pretty much under an hour. That's my favorite song by them. Yeah, they got the lyrics down under an hour and like a lot of the main chunks of it. Of course, they spent forever mastering it, but Damn. Um, no one thought you could say the word God in a song um, because, I don't know, they only thought that you could say it in like the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and Brian thought it wouldn't get much play on the radio because of it. And actually, some southern radio stations banned the song because they used the word God in it. Um, that's offensive to God. Yeah. It's a great song. It is a great song. It also it's not had, using the Lord's name in vain. Not, no. I don't think so. It's just saying God only knows what I'd be without you. Because God would only know. Um, sorry, I'm religious and that's, offen and that's offensive. Um, Am I right? Religious yeah. people out there? Would that piss you off? We're not religious. I don't know. <laughs> um, it also had a sax solo at one point, but they removed it, I guess. Can you imagine that song with a sax solo? Yes, I can. Mm. And that's why they did it. The song Run, James, Run was a James Bond type theme song that they wanted to give to the producers of James Bond films. I've never heard it. Is it good? I've only heard the album like once, and I wasn't a fan of it because I didn't know the context. You didn't know that it was like they were trying something different? No. I was like, yeah, I want to hear what the Beach Boys sound like. You're and like, I, I want to hear about the beach. So I was looking through all their albums and I saw, oh, Good Vibrations is on this one. I'll listen to this one. And yeah. it was the most experimental record ever. And it's... Yeah. Then you were young and you're <laughs> and like, I, I like, don't get it. I don't get it. I'm 16. What is yeah. this? Yeah. Um, you're like, I want to hear California Girls. Exactly. We're, we're surfing USA. I want to jam out on the beach. On the sand and surf. That's funny. Um, well, Pet Sounds used very intricate time signatures that which made seasoned professional session musicians like have trouble following it. Mm -hmm. They used a huge array of different instruments and like different objects for the sounds in the songs and stuff. So they used sleigh bells, timpani drums, we rose, which is like... They, like, take a stick and they uh, use this against slatted wood. Um, they used a vibraphone, bongos, and other exotic instruments. They used empty Coke cans for percussion in one of them. <laughs> and they also... there were, Apparently there was this orange soda machine, um, or orange drink machine in their, like, recording studio. Mm -hmm. um, and they would get eight of them. They Or they cut... Sorry, they cut eight ounce plastic orange drink bottles and duct taped them together and hit them with vibraphone uh, mallets to recreate some weird sound that they wanted. Um, it took more than 10 months and cost them $70,000 to make, which was unheard of and was the most expensive album ever recorded at the time. Yeah. Um, Capitol Records tried burying this project uh, and getting a return on investment because they were not happy about it. They didn't like how it sounded and the executives were like, yeah. what? This isn't going to sell. So they, weird. So they released a Beach Boys greatest hit album two months after, which went gold. Damn. Because they didn't like 
it, didn't like it, it. They didn't like it, and they didn't see the potential, and mm-hmm. that totally shot it down from its yeah from being able to get more traction. The members of the Beach Boys include Brian, Dennis, and Carl Wilson, their cousin Mike Love, and their friend Al Jardine. And a few fun facts about the film. Please have, tell me. I have a couple things that um, actually did happen. So they were trying to stay as accurate to what happened in real life as possible. So it's probably the most accurate of what happened out of the three films. Also because it's not... Not because Rocket Man wasn't accurate, but because Rocket Man's a musical. This was a very straightforward film, but they also made it creative by showing two key times in Brian Wilson's life and switching between the two and that just made it more that made it stand out more Mm -hmm. um so when Brian Wilson himself went and saw the film the finished film he actually got very frightened watching it because Paul Giamatti portrayed Eugene Landy so well that it really like scared him yeah he like actually freaked out poor guy I mean like he I know. If you've seen the film, you know what he's gone through. He had to revisit his his past. And, like, the film focuses on, like, two of the most hardest times of his life, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, no. Because, remember, there's those three years where he was in bed? In 300 pounds. Like, they didn't show that. Yeah, they didn't show that. Um, They were going to make a movie about that time in his life, though, but it didn't go through. That was, like, another idea. So, I'll get get to that. Um, So, in the 80s... Eugene Landy attempted to make a movie based on Brian Wilson, and he was going to be played by William Hurt, and just imagine if there was a biopic about Brian Wilson made by Eugene Landy. Can you imagine how fucked up of a perspective that movie would From be? From Eugene Landy? Yeah. This crazed, weird guy. It would make him look like like a great guy. It would make it look like he's helping oh, Brian. I was helping him. Over-medicating him. I was helping him come back with his comeback yeah. album, and I was his producer and manager. What are you saying? He was his, like, musical manager oh, for was? his comeback tour. Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll right, right, right. Okay. I well, have fun fa- facts. And then in the 90s, it was brought up again, since it didn't get made in the 80s. In the 90s, it was brought up again with the idea of Jeff Bridges playing Brian Wilson. The dude. Can you imagine the dude playing Brian Wilson? <laughs> Isn't no, that weird? His voice wouldn't work for me. Um also I mean Jeff Bridges could do it. Jeff Bridges has got range. Yeah, Jeff Bridges. Just because is a fantastic we man. this would have come out if it happens, would have come out before the Big Lebowski anyway. Um <laughs> It's so true. the studio scenes in the film were improvised live in a in a live um unrehearsed pseudo-documentary style with two 16mm handheld cameras and Paul Dano, who plays the younger version of Brian Wilson, he had been in a band before, so he knew how to direct all the musicians. And so it's mostly improvised, and then Paul Dano also threw in some quotes that were lines that Wilson had said on old session tapes. So a lot of the things that he says while he's in the studio are things that Brian Wilson actually did say well. in real life, in real time. So Paul Dano and John Cusack, who plays the older version of Brian Wilson, they did not interact at all during the making of the film. Not just because they take place in two different times of Brian's life, but 
um, people working on the film didn't want them to talk because they didn't want them to, um, how do I word this? <laughs> they didn't want them to have, they wanted them to have their own individual way of resembling Wilson without pulling influence from each other. So. Makes sense. They didn't have talk at all on set or anything. Um, Dano also gained 35 pounds for the role, eating like 4,500 calories a day. Because that was the point in Brian's life where he was gaining weight uh, during yeah. the pet sounds. They kept meant like pointing out his weight too in the film. Like of course, yes. like they were in yeah. And uh, Paul Dano alternates throughout the film between singing for real and lip syncing the original recordings of Brian Wilson singing. So some of the times that he sings, it's actually Paul Dano's voice, which is I didn't know. He, I didn't know he could sing. I didn't either. Um. But he sings very well. I didn't notice when it was him and when it was Brian Wilson, so... <laughs> um, they wanted the film to be as real as, and accurate as possible, so they didn't take any creative liberties or anything. Um, like they did with Bohemian Rhapsody. Their creative liberties make no sense. Um, they also... Uh, Melinda, the real Melinda, in real life, she was involved in the film's production, and... Um, it is true that she did meet Brian Wilson while she was working at Martin Cadillac, and he did buy the first car that she showed him. And when they were in the car, he did talk about his brother drowning two years before. So. If you weren't going to say that fact, I was going to say it too, because I saw it. <laughs> all of that is true. That is incredible. Also, another thing that is true is that on their first date, Brian Wilson did stand outside and shout her name. Because he forgot the apartment number. <laughs> so he did actually do that. Um, but <laughs> Eugene, in the film, when they get back into the car, Eugene is sitting there and accompanying, accompanying them on their first date. He did not accompany them on their first date, but he had a lot of um, his assistants accompany them, and he also called them several times during it. So it was basically like he was there. So, as you said before, Melinda says that Brian has schizoaffective disorder, um, manic depressive with auditory hallucinations. He does not have a mix of paranoid schizophrenic and manic depression like Eugene Landy said he did while he was over-medicating him. The last thing I have is that the Beatles pulled a lot of inspiration from the Beach Boys' um, Pet Sounds album, mm. and... They used that a lot in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band that came out. So, Pet Sounds came out in 66, and Sgt. Pepper came out in 1967. And I actually oh. hear it now that I've listened to both albums. Yeah. I'm like, oh wow, they really did. They really did take a lot of inspiration. Good old Beatles. They, I can't believe that. The Beach Boys inspired the Beatles. Well, I guess I have some information about Eugene Landy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. He's a terrible person, everybody. And we all know that. He once... But he once cared for Alice Cooper before and actor Richard Harris and Rod Steiger. He cared for Alice Cooper? Yeah. He How? I don't know. He had... I mean, he dropped out of middle school at like sixth in sixth grade because he had very bad dyslexia and he can't he, I guess 
he went to college later on somehow. I mean, even not getting a high school diploma. Right? I don't know. He might oh. have. Um, I read it very briefly, and okay. his he went to college. He got a degree in chemistry, and then got a master's in psychiatry and, and whatever. So he has a master's in psychiatry. Yeah. Or psychology. I forget which one. Um, Probably. Okay. But he invented this technique called the 24-hour monitoring technique where someone will always be around him, always be monitoring him. And um, it started in 1965 when he coined this technique. Um, So he coined the technique of never leaving the patient alone. Pretty much. Fuck. (laughs) Um, He actually cared for Brian two times. The first was in 1976, um, where he helped Brian enough physically and mentally to perform at the Beach Boys' 15th anniversary concert that year. Um, And then he did again um, from 83 to 86. Um, The Times in 1988 said that Landy was a maverick who did things that no other psychologist has done in treating the psychotic and the drug addicted. Um, Landy insisted that he have control of Wilson's entire environment, and the state board accused Landy of grossly negligent conduct, including the sexual abuse of a female patient. So... Why am I not surprised? Why are we not surprised? Well, Brian was basically like a captive, um, and he was manipulated by a man who frightened and intimidated him. They portray that very well in the film. Yeah. So, he was fired the first time over fees by the, by the Beach Boys manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was rehired, he was being paid, don't read this, $35,000 a month. Which is in 1984, five, five money. Calculating for inflation, mm-hmm. that is over $90,000 a month. A month. Gross. People why? don't even make that in a year. That's what Landy was making every Yeah, he was making it every month. Well, that's not fair. He's damaging people. He's damaging people's lives. He made over a million dollars. Gross. A year. I mean, not in their time, but in our time, yeah. So, (laughs) I said, which is effing ridiculous. Is he alive? No, I think he's dead. He's dead? Yeah. I've wondered I'll that. double check. I don't know why I didn't look into that, but... Yeah, he died in 06. Oh. Something I forgot to say was, even though Brian Wilson hated the parts um, that had Eugene Landy in them, as one would expect, uh, he said his favorite parts in the film were uh, the parts where him and Melinda are all, like, mushy with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, the part where he plays the piano for her, and he's mm-hmm. like, and he's like... And she's like, what are you going to do with that? And he's like, oh, nothing. It's just for you. I made that just for you. Yeah, that was, he, he was like, it just came to mind. That, that, that was the tune that came to mind the first time I saw you. And he, just, and he says it so matter-of-factly. Like, he's not even trying to be sweet. He's just being honest. And then, just like, you know, the part where they jump off the boat. and they Yeah, and they swim, swim to shore. Yeah. He said that he, those were all of his favorite parts because he got to relive falling in love with his wife. They're married. They're married. Yeah, Melinda and him are married. That the movie is like so satisfying because everything actually worked out <laughs> in real life. And it's like all these bad people. They're gone. 
they're not in his life anymore. Mm-hmm. So the movie came out after Eugene Landy died, I guess. Well, I think that does it for episode seven. If you could rank these films, how would you rank them? It's hard because Rocketman is a fantasy musical, which is extremely fun to watch. But then we take Love and Mercy, which is a really in-depth analysis of Brian Wilson's life and, and accounting for all of the events in it. Totally different. Well, we know what's at the bottom. I, w- I would like to say Rocket Man, then Love and Mercy, and then Bohemian Rhapsody, out of pure enjoyment. Yeah. Um, That's probably what I would say, too. But Love and Mercy, I feel like the story is super in-depth, and it's much yeah. more emotionally charged, and I think mm-hmm. it could almost beat out Rocket Man on that account. Mm-hmm. I uh-huh. love Paul Dano. Paul Dano's such a good actor. Agree. What has he been in recently? I feel like I haven't seen him in a long time. He was in Little Miss Sunshine. There Will Be Blood. Oh yeah, he's in There Will Be Blood and 12 Years a Slave. This is what he's known for. We have not seen There Will Be Blood yet. But he was, oh, he was in Swiss Army Man. That's what I was thinking. He was? Yes, he's the guy who finds Daniel Radcliffe. I saw that seven years ago. So when it came out? I guess. I don't remember it that well. Anyway, anyway. it's okay. Thank you for listening. As always, as always, we say. Rocketman and Love and Mercy are on Hulu, so watch them if you have Hulu. And Bohemian Rhapsody is on nothing, so you can rent it. You can skip that one. If you watch it, just skip to the ending performance. (laughs) Buy the Blu ray and watch the uh, extended version of Live Aid performance. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for listening in. I think I've said that like three times already, but you know. Mm -hmm. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.